I am excited, as Todd announced, uh, the new uh, 9 a.m. class that we'll be starting after the first of the year. That's a, that's a new thing, and it's a new opportunity, and, and uh, Jeff Bartell is going to be teaching that class, and he's going to be taking all of us um, through the Bible. And listen, you know, we all, we all know Jeff very well, and there's no better Bible teacher uh, than him. And so I'm excited about that, um, and, and I hope you are too. Um, we'll be meeting in here, and so just plan that. Just mark 2023, 9 a.m., walk through the Bible. We'll be reading the Bible together. Um, I think that's going to be a good thing. And then the only other thing I want to mention is um, I want to make another uh, push for Wedstrong. And so um, our, our Living Faith Fellowship Marriage Conference, so that's December 8th through the 10th in Nashville, and there's still time to sign up. So if you haven't signed up, there's still some uh, places available, and so... Um, I have the privilege of, of having one of the sessions, Justin Trotter, I will be speaking, Code Blaze, Lee Ridings, and Corey Gordon in the breakout, and, and then uh, for the ladies, uh, Miss Sherry Trotter will be speaking as well uh, to the ladies. So listen, if you, if you have the ability and, and, uh, to do that, man, I really encourage you to do that. So again, you can still sign up. It's just a fun time, too. It's a fun time for us to come together. Um, outside of this environment and, and, and be able to fellowship together and get some good biblical teaching on what is a, a quite an important subject. So uh, December 8th through the 10th in Nashville. Now, if you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. And we're actually going to spend our time in Genesis 18 and 19 this morning. But, but before we get there, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you have, have heard of the, the Charles... Dickens' novel, the, the Tale of Two Cities, right? Most, yeah, most, most of you have. And, and, and even if you, maybe you haven't, say you haven't heard of that book, you've probably at least heard of the first line. It's, the first line of that book is actually a quite very long run-on sentence, uh, but it begins with this phrase, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? You guys are familiar, you're familiar with that. It's one of the most popular opening lines and all of literature, the book itself, one of the best-selling novels of all time. Dickens wrote it in 1859. Uh, the book is set in London and Paris. Those are the two cities before and during the French Revolution of the late 1700s. But that opening line, it's, it's a great descriptor of the book, but not only that, it's also a great descriptor of our sermon this morning in which I've titled The Tale of Two Fathers. Because in Genesis chapter 18 and then Genesis chapter 19, we are going to see parallel stories of two very different men and, and two very different fathers. So the, the stories run along a very similar pattern. They're, they're very parallel in what we're going to see, but the responses of these men and, and what they do and how they handle these situations are quite different. The first man we're going to look at is Abraham. Now we've, we've looked at Abraham these past couple Sundays in, in kind of a negative light out of Genesis chapter 16. But what we're going to see today is that Abraham was a changed man. In fact, he was so different that God even changed his name. And that change occurs in, beginning, uh, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 17. And Genesis 17 occurs some 13 years after Genesis 16. At the beginning of Genesis 17, we read, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, so he was 86 in, in Genesis 16, he's now 99. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee 
Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. Thy name shall be Abraham. And for a, but for a father of many nations have I made thee. So there was a change in, in, in Abraham's life. God is changing his name. God changes his wife's name as well in, in, in this um, same chapter, Genesis, Genesis 17. And in Genesis 18, and, and a little bit outside of that, we're going to see the tale of a good father. Genesis 18 is the best of times. But we're going to contrast Abraham and, and his fathering with that, with that of Abraham's nephew, a man named Lot. And Lot was a very different man than his uncle and, and ended up taking a very different path. And his path led him uh, to a place called Sodom. We're going to learn about Sodom today. Most of you are already aware of it. But in case you aren't, uh, Sodom was a place of wickedness. A place that God ultimately destroys in Genesis chapter 19 because of that wickedness. And Lot was wrapped up in all of it. But, but that didn't happen overnight. We can trace a negative progression in Lot's life, a, a slow but, but downward spiral into carnality and worldliness. See, Lot started with just looking. He just looked that way. I mean, it's just a look, right? What can be wrong with that? What can be wrong with a look? Genesis 13 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. It looked like a lovely place. Good schools, good sports leagues, all of it. Listen, there's always been a problem with following what we see. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. And this entire world is designed to trick us, to get us to follow and chase after what we see. Because seeing is believing after all, right? That's what the world tells us. I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible says. That's what the world tells us. And this subtle approach started from the very first spiritual attack against man and woman. Genesis 3, 6, and when the woman, what? Saw. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Listen, we know this. We are to trust what God, God says. We're to trust the words of God, not what we see. Because looking leads to Leaning. Because of what Lot saw, it led him to set his desire in that direction towards Sodom. Again, looked very enticing, looked like a lovely place. And down in verses 12 and 13 of Genesis 13, we read, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And yet, he wasn't moved there yet, but he just sets his tent, he pitches his tent, he sets it up in that direction because he liked what he saw. And so he just starts leaning that way. And guess what? The next thing we know, Lot moves in. He looked, he leaned, and then he lived. This should come as no surprise. It's very similar to the path of apathy we talked about a few weeks ago. But Genesis chapter 14, verse 12 says, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who now dwelt in Sodom. And his goods and departed. And it goes even deeper than this for Lot. We're going to see that in our study this morning. But this slide ultimately 
has a devastating effect on Lot and his family and his ability to, to father, at least in a spiritual sense. So in Genesis 19, we're going to see the tale of a bad father. Genesis 19 is the worst of times. And the sad thing about that is that Lot should have known better. He wasn't of the world. He wasn't of Sodom. He had chosen to join himself to that place, to their sin and their wickedness. Fact is, Lot was a righteous man, living carnally in a carnal world. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 tell us that very thing. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them. In what? Seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And what a sad statement that is. But we need to see the picture. We need to see these two family portraits this morning. And Lot is a picture of a saved man living carnally in this evil world. So Christian, we all need to ask ourselves this morning, am I vexing my righteous soul because I won't remove myself from this world, a world that hates you? Because if you are, you are affecting more than just you. You are affecting your family too, especially if you are a father. Psalm 127 verse 4 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Listen, the Bible says that our children are arrows in our hand and we shape them and we shoot them on a trajectory of either spiritual success or spiritual failure. Either like Abraham or like Lot. I told you this last Sunday that there can be lasting generational results in our family when we don't lead the way that God designed. In fact, Numbers 14, 18 says, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. See, it's important for us to learn this tale of two fathers this morning. And and each tale begins the exact same way. Each tale begins with them entertaining some supernatural visitors. Like I told you, the parallels in these stories are, are really, really pretty incredible. So let's look at the beginning of each story, and then we'll get into our study. The tale of Abraham is found in Genesis 18. And here's how that starts. Verses 1 and 2 says, And the Lord appeared unto him, that, that's Abraham. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he, he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran unto meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground. All right, so this is the beginning of Abraham's story. He has some supernatural visitors, the Lord and, and two angels, we're going we're gonna to find out. Now, the tale of Lot is found in Genesis 19, and look at how this chapter starts. There came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to ask him to to lead our study and direct us and and teach us this morning. Lord, we love you. Um, We need you today. Um, um, I certainly do. I pray that that I won't cough and and that sort of thing, and that that you'll keep my voice strong um, just for your glory. Lord, I pray that that you will teach us today, and and we see that these tales of two fathers, Lord, all all that you have for us, Lord, in, 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 in this message. And so, Lord, I pray that, that what is said is true to your word. I pray that it's honoring and glorifying to you. And, Lord, use it in our life 
and all the fathers, all the mothers, all everybody, just in, in, in as Christians, on the type of men, the type of women uh, we should be, but particularly as leaders of our families. Lord, help us today, um, as only your Holy Spirit can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think we can see the similarities in these two passages I just read. They're both experiencing a very similar event. But even in these particular verses, and certainly what follows, we're going to see some stark contrast. Because this is the tale of two fathers. And the pictures we're going to see, like I said, are, are pretty incredible. And the tale begins with, this is our first point, their personal spirituality. We're going to look at the comparisons and the contrast of their personal spirituality. And I want to start by examining the location that we find both of, the, of these fathers. Where was it that they were visited? And, and I'm not only talking about, I mean, we certainly have a, a contrast between Mamre, which is in Hebron, Hebron and, and, and Sodom, and, and all that Hebron represents in the Bible, which is blessing and, and positivity and, and Sodom, which is wickedness. But not only that, where was it that, where they were specifically visited? And with respect to Abraham, we see that he was sitting in his tent door. Genesis 18.1, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Okay, so he was sitting in the door of his tent. Now, where was Lot? Genesis 19.1 says that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And there came two angels. This is Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. So Abraham's sitting in his tent door. Lot is sitting in the gate at Sodom. Not only that, we know from verse 2 that Lot had a house in Sodom, in contrast to a tent that Abraham lived in, Genesis 19.2. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and it goes on from there. I don't have to explain to you the difference between a tent and a house. It was the same in Abraham and Lot's day than it is today. But I'll say it anyway. One was a temporary dwelling place. The other was a permanent dwelling place. And where we find these two fathers gives us some, some great insight into their personal spirituality and the type of relationship they had with the Lord. You see, there was one father that didn't make this world his home, but the other father did. And some of you might be thinking, really? I mean, are you sure about that? Isn't, isn't that a little presumptive? And the answer is no, because the Bible tells us this very explicitly. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at what verses 8 through 10 says. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And why did he do that? Why did he live in tents and tabernacles, moving throughout the land? Because verse 10 says, For he looked for a city without hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He did that because he didn't make this world his home. He was looking above and waiting for the heavenly city where he could take up permanent, even eternal residence. This world was as a strange country to him. And you know it's supposed to feel that way to us too? Three verses later in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, These all died in faith, having not received the promises, 
And having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It wasn't their home. They were strangers. They were pilgrims. Peter makes a similar statement in his first epistle, chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as what? As strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And let me add the best way. To abstain from those fleshly lusts is if you fully understand and believe that you are indeed a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. So Christian, do you fully understand and believe that? Can you sing the hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, I'm afraid that way too many of us feel way too much at home in this world. And in that sense, we are more like Lot than Abraham. Because Lot wasn't just a passing through. Lot had made Sodom his home. He was not looking beyond Sodom. He was not looking eternally. He was caught up in the temporal world as so many Christians are too today. And it's not only that he had a house in Sodom, it's also that he was sitting in the gate. And sitting in the gate implies a leadership position within the city. Proverbs 31:23, describing the virtuous woman, says her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. That's where the elders or the leaders of the city sit. They served as judges and legislators. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we see an example of this. Verses 7 and 8 says, And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, and let his husband's wife go up to the gate unto the elders, and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up, Unto his brother a name in Israel, he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, and it goes on from there. They make the decision. They, they're the judges. They're, they sit in the gate, and they're the elders. You see, Lot not only was living in Sodom. He was deeply involved in the everyday doings and workings of that wicked city. And later in the chapter, when the men of Sodom come to Lot's house because they want to do some bad things to the angels, he steps outside to talk to them and look at what he calls them. In Genesis 19:7, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Lot considered the Sodomites his brothers. And let me tell you, that is just a very dangerous thing. Who you are closest to says something about you. And as a Christian, it says something about your relationship with God. So in picture, their locations point us to their personal spirituality. But then second, I also want us to consider the time. Because the time of day that these visits occurred paints another portion of their personal spirituality picture. And according to Genesis 18.1, the Lord and his angel, angels visited Abraham in the heat of the day. It would have been the afternoon when the sun was at its peak. 
But contrast that with Lot. Genesis 19.1 says he was visited by the angels in the even, the evening, when it was dark. So Abraham was outside when there was light, but Lot was outside when it was dark. And the picture we see is that Abraham was walking in the light, but Lot was walking in darkness. And 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, then, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And again, remember the picture of Lot is a saved man. But he's living like a lost man. He was righteous, but his soul was vexed. The Today, we would say the spirit was quenched. Let's look at what Colossians 1.13 tells us that happens when we get saved. What Jesus does, who had delivered us from the power of darkness. And that translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. But Lot was still walking in the darkness that, you know, in picture he had been delivered from. And so, too, do so many Christians When we get saved, we get saved out of this world. But then we run right back to it so easily. And we get sucked right back in to all of that this world is and all that it does. Starts with just looking. Leads to leaning. Moves to living. Next thing you know, you're leading. You're right in the middle of it. You're part of it. It's who you are. Your identity is wrapped up in your involvement in the world. So their locations and the time of day point us to their personal spirituality. But we also need to evaluate their visitors. Because there were three men that visited Abraham. And only two visited Lot. And do you know who was missing? The Lord himself. Let me remind you of the story, Genesis 18, 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared unto him. That's Abraham. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood with him. So there was the Lord and two angels. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. And then down in verse 22, we learn that the Lord sends the two angels on to Lot. But he stays back with Abraham. In Genesis 18, 22, it says, And the men, these were the angels that were with him, turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And what happens from here is Abraham and the Lord commence to have a conversation about how many, in right, how many righteous in Sodom would be enough for God to save it. See, Abraham was trying to save his nephew's life. And when that conversation ends, the Lord leaves. That's what it says. But he doesn't go to Sodom to see Lot. Genesis 19.1 says, And there came two angels at Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Listen, the picture that we see here in the visitors 
is a broken fellowship between Lot and the Lord. Because 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, In what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or which part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And that was the lot, that was the life that Lot was living. And as a result, he and the Lord do not talk in Genesis 19, not personally. And what a sad picture that is. And the truth is, God always wants to visit us. He always wants to have fellowship with us, but that is up to us. It is up to us whether that occurs or not. And if you do not desire fellowship with the Lord, he won't force that upon you. That's how much he loves you, actually. Our free will extends beyond our salvation choice. It even goes to our daily fellowship with him, or the lack thereof. So how's your fellowship with the Lord? Do you meet with him regularly? Or does that not happen? Abraham had direct fellowship with the Lord, but Lot didn't. Their visitors paint for us a very vivid picture of their personal spirituality. But but there's one more picture that I want you to see in this arena, and that is related to the message. The message that the Lord and his angels brought to Abraham was that he and Sarah were finally going to have their promised child, the heir of the promises God had given to Abraham. Genesis 18.10 says, And he said, this is the Lord, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. So this was a message of life, of birth, of joy, of promise. But the message to Lot was much different. It was a message of death. It was a message of judgment. Because the angels came to tell Lot that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, verses 12 and 13, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, besides you? Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. See, Abraham's message was a message of life. Lot's was a message of death. And when we're living in fellowship with God, when we're living according to his word, that always results in blessing. It doesn't result in the promise of an easy life, but it does result in blessing, in fruit, in all things working together for good. But when we are living out of fellowship with God, of following the course of this world, there's no promise of of life. There's no promise of fruit in that. There's not blessing. There's just death. Because death is the always the ultimate result of sin. The wages of sin is death. It's where it leads. What a tale of two fathers and their respective personal spirituality. One in fellowship with God and one out of fellowship with God. But then next we need to see their philosophy of servanthood. We need to see their philosophy of servanthood because 
they both call themselves servants. And at first glance, there doesn't even appear to be that much difference in their service. But when we dive into the details, I think the picture becomes clearer. So let's start with Abraham. After Abraham bows to his guests, he begins to talk to them. And this is what he says in verse 3. And and said, Abraham, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. Don't leave. I pray thee from thy servant. He calls himself a servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Let's do it. Verse 6, and Abraham hastened unto the tent into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the earth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hastened to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. So that is a picture. That's what we see. That describes Abraham's servanthood. Now let's compare that with Lot's. Genesis 19, verses 2 and 3. And he, this is Lot, he bowed to them at the same. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. And you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and to bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Okay, now again, at first glance, if you just sort of read over it, you, you know, you might catch that there's more detail in Abraham's, but there doesn't appear to be too much difference in their service. They both take their guests into their homes. They both allow them to get cleaned up. They both feed them, and they both give them a place to sleep. But when we dig a little deeper, we see a difference in philosophy. They both did the same thing. But what we see is that Abraham serves out of desire, and Lot serves out of duty. And, and this just pictures grace versus works. This pictures, you know, the, even in our salvation, what we try to do, whether allowing God to do the work versus us trying to do the work. Because in verse 2 of, of chapter 18, we see that Abraham ran to see his guest. What did Lot do? He rose. He just stood up. Abraham's initial offer to the Lord and to his angels included a meal. Lot's only only offered them a meal after he brought them into his house. And their guest could sense their hospitality. Abraham's guest took him up on his offer to come into his house. He invites them into his house and they said, yes, we will come. Lot's did not. Not at first. They said, no, we're going to stay out in the streets. And he begged them to come into his house. And you say, well, that, doesn't that prove his desire to serve them? No, it doesn't. Because he only did that because he knew what was going to happen if those angels stayed out on the streets at night. And in Genesis 19, verses 4 and 5, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, can pass the house round, both old and young all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And you should know the biblical definition of that. 
I won't say it out loud, but they, they, they wanted to do some bad things to those angels. And remember, these were Lot's brothers out there on the street. He knew exactly what would happen and exactly what they would want. So when Lot pressed upon his guests greatly to come into his house, that is why. It wasn't just because he desired so much to serve them. He just knew he had to. And just look at the difference in the description. There's great detail in Abraham's account. We we read about everything that they serve their guests. Look at verse 6 again of Genesis 18. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man. And he hasted, hasted to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under a tree and they did eat. And didn't spare anything. Look at what it says. It says he provided a feast, which is not exactly how we define feast culturally today. But it, it, it did include food, at least unleavened bread, and it provided drink. But that's all we get. No real detail provided because it wasn't provided with the same care and love as Abraham. We see that Abraham hastened. Lot didn't. Abraham included his wife. Lot didn't. Abraham stood by to watch them eat, to make sure they had everything they needed. Lot didn't. And as you dig into the details, there's an obvious difference in their service and what was behind it. So when it comes to your service, is it done willingly or is it just done out of duty? Is it done half-heartedly just to justify yourself and make yourself feel better? Or do you give all you have to the Lord? Because listen, God desires our willingness to serve, not just our service. He desires our willingness to serve. That needs to be our philosophy of servanthood. 1 Corinthians 9, 17 says, Paul said, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, even if I do it, but it's against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Philemon 1.14 says, But without thy mind would I do nothing, if thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. How is your service? Because listen, both eternally, it matters. It matters the motive. The judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be judged for the motive. Why we do what we do matters eternally. But it also matters temporally because our kids notice. We're going to see that pretty soon. So in this tale of two fathers, we see contrasting personal spirituality. We see two different philosophies of servanthood. But then third, we also need to examine their parental sacrifices. Because what we learn in the stories of Abraham and Lot is that both of these fathers willingly offer up their children as a sacrificial offering. But the sacrifices are very different. In fact, they can't be more polar opposite. Because one is to and for the Lord. The other is to and for the world and all the wickedness surrounding the world. 
And for Abraham's sacrifice, we actually have to jump over to Genesis chapter 22. Many of you are familiar with this passage. But verse 1 says, and it came to pass. So just to bring you up on the story, Genesis 18, the message of the Lord was that they were going to have their promised child. And you know what they did? His name, his name was Isaac. And in Genesis 22, we see this story. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. He was testing him and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And this is a very sobering passage. God's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac the son who God had promised him they had waited so many years for. The, the son that, that was, had, a, had a miraculous birth. The son through whom a great nation was promised. But God was asking him to do this. So, say, so Abraham was willing to obey. To sacrifice his child for the Lord. Down in verses 9 and 10 it says, And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But most of us know the story. He didn't have to go through with it. God stopped him. God provided himself a lamb, as, he, as Abraham said he would in verse 8. He was just testing Abraham's faith. He was testing Abraham's willingness and his love. And it says specifically his fear. But Abraham proved that he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. Even when it didn't make any sense. And listen, surrendering our kids as parents. Surrendering our kids to the Lord is a biblical principle. Our children are gifts from God. And, and as all gifts, we're to give them back. It's crazy hard to even comprehend. I know, I'm a parent. But it's right. And what we can know and trust is God will always take care of them and do right by them. We see this principle with Hannah, the mother of Samuel. She prayed for a child. This is what she told the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou would indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And God gave her that man-child, and she kept her word. Verse 28, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth to be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And this is a strong testimony of a godly mother. And, and listen, here's what this means for us practically. When it comes to our children, our desire should be that they serve the Lord with their life first and foremost. Our desire doesn't mean they're going to. They have free will also. Our desire should be that they serve the Lord with their life first and foremost above anything else. And I know you have a lot of hopes and dreams for your children. I do too. But I want to focus on eternal goals for them more than temporal earthly goals. 
Our desire should be with John's, who said in, in, in verse 4 of his third epistle, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. And he was talking about a spiritual child there, but uh, certainly applies physically as well. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I so said, what is it when, when you think about your kids and, and their future and their path and if you could write the script for your children's future on end, their, who they marry, kids, all of it. If you could write the script, what would bring you the most joy? Would it be that they choose to leave you and this country and go across the world to serve the Lord? Would that bring you great joy? that they're following the Lord for their life and in walking in his truth? Listen, I'm a parent. It's a hard question to answer. But we have to be able to allow the Lord to work in and through our children. If this is ever gonna happen, if we're gonna, our desire is gonna be for them to serve the Lord. We have to be willing to surrender them to him. And Abraham was willing. But Lot's idea of sacrificing his children was shamefully different. He didn't offer to give them to the Lord. He offered to give them to the wicked men of Sodom. And the Sodomites, after the Sodomites came looking for the angels, Lot offered up his daughters instead. Can you even imagine? Genesis 19 says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man, Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men, the angels, do nothing. Who could have taken care of themselves, by the way? For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. What a terrible shame. And I think probably everybody in here who's listening is rightfully disgusted by that offer from light. From Lot. If you're a parent at all, you're just rightfully disgusted by that offer. And yet, many of us are doing the exact same thing. We don't even know it. Many of us are gladly offering our kids and our families to this world and allowing this world to do whatever they want to them. And all for what? So that they can, they can be popular, so that they can get a scholarship to a good school, so they can get a good job, so that you can brag about them on Facebook. Why? Don't you see that you're no better than Lot? So instead of surrendering to the Lord and teaching them about the Lord and encouraging them to live their life in his service and modeling that behavior, instead, you've given them away. And now they've been taken captive by this world. And this world and the ways of this world are all they know. Now it's all they desire. 
And the truth is, the sad truth is, I'm describing many families in our Laodicea and lukewarm Christianity today. And it's not that we don't know better. At least here in a church like this, we understand what God has said and what he has called, to do, called us to do in his word. What he's called us to be a part of. And he's called us to a life of service to him and separation from the world. Knowing that isn't the problem. For the most part, we understand biblically, biblically what our role as Christian parents is. And even Christians in general, we just don't know if we can do it. We don't know if we want to do it. We don't know if it's worth it. We're not sure that living that life and walking in the Spirit and leading our families that way will take us where we really want to go in this world. You see, sometimes we're a lot more like Lot than, than we would care to admit. And what happens as a result, as a result of our personal spirituality and our philosophy of servanthood and our parental sacrifice, leads to the last aspect of this tale of two fathers that we need to discuss. And that's their power to shepherd. And if I am my homiletics student, so I taught homiletics class how to preach in our LFBI. And one of the things I told them, like, this is just me. This is a personal pet peeve of mine, is drinking water during a sermon. And I told them, if you ever see me drinking water, it's an, it's an emergency. Well, now is that time. <coughs> oh, so don't laugh. Um, so we're at the, the power where we're going to compare their power to shepherd. Because like I told you earlier, our kids and our families are watching. And they see it all. And they have insight into our relationship with God. It's very difficult to hide at home. And they see how we serve the Lord and the Lord's people or, or how we don't. And they make note. And they learn what's important to you and what you're willing to sacrifice for, either to the Lord or to the world. And, and they figure it out and and again, they have their own free will. And they can, you know, even there's great Christians that have come out of terrible situations. And then there's, there's not great Christians that have come out of very good, loving Christian situations. So this isn't anybody, this isn't everybody. But we certainly have influence, both positive or negative. And, and it's important, what's important to us is likely going to have some importance to our children. Again, it's not always. But what this is, we absolutely see this being true in our tale of two fathers. Because based on everything we have seen so far, here is what God says about Abraham's power to shepherd or lead his family. And we find it in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. God speaking says, for I know him. I know Abraham, speaking of Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And, and like I said, God's talking in this verse, and listen, I just love the first four words of that verse, for I know him. He knew Abraham. And it should be our great desire to know God. That was one of the things Paul said, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. Paul's great desire was just to know the Lord. That should be all of our desires. But oh, how awesome is it when the Lord says that he knows us. And and of course, he knows us because he knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But Genesis 18, 19 implies a more intimate knowledge because they had fellowship, even a friendship. James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Isaiah 41.8, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And it's, you know, I think sometimes we can make too much of that phrase, but, but Abraham is the only person in the Bible specifically said to be a friend of God. Moses says he talked to him as he speaks to a friend, but specifically to say he was a friend of God. Abraham's the only person in the Bible that we say. And that has some Old Testament context um, you know, as well. But, but the fact is they had fellowship. They even had a friendship. And God knew him. And God knew that Abraham had the power to shepherd his family appropriately and that he would do it, that Abraham's children and household would keep the way of the Lord. And they did, you know, for the most part. Like, we're going to look at Isaac, and he's not always perfect. Isaac is an interesting one of, of the patriarchs, but Isaac becomes one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible. We've talked about that some already. Specifically, we saw that Genesis 22 as that sacrifice. Isaac's one of the great types of Christ in the Bible. But what about Lot? What did his power to shepherd his family look like from a spiritual perspective? It looked like failure. He could not even get his married daughters and his sons-in-law to leave Sodom before it was destroyed. So Lot had zero spiritual influence over his family. It's not that he didn't have influence. He had some influence. He had zero spiritual influence over his family. Genesis 19, 14 says, And Lot went out, spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They laughed at him. They wouldn't listen to him at all, and they don't leave. And they're destroyed because of it. And what about his wife? Was he a good leader for her, one that she wanted to follow? Well, when they're leaving Sodom, here's what happened to his wife. Genesis 19, 26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She didn't want to leave. Her heart was in Sodom. Her heart was in the world. And even though she followed Lot, she couldn't fully submit to him. And he, it even, she wasn't even keeping up with him. She looked back from behind him. And listen to what I'm about to say. Fellas, listen. She loved the world that Lot provided for her. And he lost her because of it. How sad. But the truth is, she learned it from Lot. Because he didn't want to leave either. When he knew what was going to happen to that city, 
In Genesis 19, verses 15 and 16, it says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. It's time. It's going down. You guys got to get out now. We're going to set this place on fire. And look at what verse 16 says. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him out of the city. They had to force him out. They had to physically grab him by the hand and his family and pull him out as he lingered behind knowing full well what was about to happen. And then if you read the end of this chapter, you'll see what happens to Lot's unmarried daughters that that went with him. And it's not good. But he hadn't taught them anything good. And you can read that on your own in verses 30 through 38 of chapter 19 to see what happens. But they commit a sin with their father, And the results of that sin become the Ammonites and the Moabites. And we talked a little bit about them during our study of Nehemiah, but suffice it to say that they're not friendly to the Lord or to the Lord's people. And according to Zephaniah chapter 2, specifically verses 8 through 9, they're going to show back up in the tribulation fighting against Israel. Lasting consequences of sin. And lasting consequences of Lot not leading the way God designed. So Genesis 18 and Genesis 19 is absolutely a tale of two fathers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But the only question remaining is which father are you? Are you more like Abraham or are you more like Lot? Do you care more about the things of the Lord or the things of this world? A world that hates you, by the way. I'm not sure if I've told you that yet this morning. (laughs) Listen, our children and our families know who we are. And if you need to change your course, why don't you do that this morning? This world, this Laodicean world, has enough Christian lots and not nearly enough Christian Abrahams. Let's get this right for the sake of our families, for the sake of our church, and ultimately for the cause of Christ. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, as you're settling your hearts, I just want you to take time to consider what the Lord showed you through his word this morning, if anything. And encourage you to not be like Lot. And commit to live our lives and bring up our families like Abraham to be that father, to be that Christian. So if there's anything in your life that you need to get right this morning, do it today. Don't wait. Get it right this morning. Change today. Repent today. And if you don't know the Lord is your Savior this morning, I want you to know that that we can show you how to get that settled today. If there's never been a time that you've placed your faith, the finished work of Jesus Christ to save you from eternal damnation, I mean, you know, that... What happened in Genesis 19, the people of Sodom are still burning in hell even today. And for everybody that doesn't accept the gift of Christ today, the eternal life, the gift of eternal life, that is the ultimate destination for them as well. Don't let that be you. 
recognize that you are a sinner, and, and if you're a sinner, that means you need a Savior. You need someone that, that lived this life sinlessly and then died a death that only he could die to pay a sacrifice that we can't pay. There's nothing we could do to earn our way to heaven. Jesus did all the work on the cross. Accept that gift. Place your faith in that to get you to heaven, and God will keep his end of the promise. And if you need to know what that looks like or what that means, if you need to talk to someone today, come forward as we're singing this final song. We'd love to tell you what it means and what it looks like to get saved. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth in it. And um, this tale of two fathers that we just looked at, these parallel stories that had much different endings, Lord, just allow us to see our place in that and where we're at and what we need to change to live our life in conformity to you for your glory. And, and Lord, help, help us. I mean, we, man, we, we fall short so much, myself included, and, and help us, Lord, to, to live our life for you, to live our life for your glory to raise our families that way. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for you and all that you do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.